We listen to the word of God. The first letter of John, chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we, have claimed, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence. Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Our second reading comes from Revelation chapter 22, beginning to read at verse 7. And this very last passage in the Bible is entitled, Jesus is Coming. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. 
Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. I don't know how many of you took much notice of Black Friday, which was this Friday just gone. But in November two years ago, police were called to shops all around the country as people fought and just rummaged for the best bargains they could find, all for the sake of Black Friday sales. And the interesting thing is that people had queued for hours and hours to get into those shops just for the sake of a sale. A shopping outlet in Oxfordshire had to temporarily close after roads became so gridlocked that uh, by Black Friday shoppers. This year, however... It was a lot more civilised and people did the shopping online a bit more. But that said, there were still ridiculous queues. And research came up with the following figures of how long people waited to get in the shop, never mind queuing once they were in there. In a league table of 19 key towns and cities outside London, Birmingham came in second with the shortest queues in the UK with a wait time of 18 minutes and 18 seconds on average. It was beaten only by Glasgow with queues to get in the shop of 16 minutes. Southampton was the worst 
with a wait of 58 minutes and Nottingham had 55. I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd fancy waiting that long just to get into the shop for the sake of some bargains. I'm not good at waiting, or at least not for stuff like that. Whether you're good at waiting or not, whatever it is you might have ever waited for, it's what you do while you're waiting that makes a difference. You might have been waiting to get to this end of the series on Revelation, and that day has come. (laughs) This is the last chapter of the entire Bible, and what it says is really significant. But the whole book is about waiting for Jesus to return and what we should do whilst we're waiting. And this last chapter in particular, there are a few things that I want us to think about. The first thing that we need to do whilst we're waiting for Jesus to return is to worship God. The word worship means to show reverence and adoration. And what John does is he falls down at the feet of the angel and he worships the angel. He worships him initially rather than God, but he does this because he's overwhelmed by what he saw and what he heard. When are we overwhelmed by what we've seen and heard about what God is doing around us? Has it caused us to show reverence and adoration because we're in awe of who God is? At how blessed we are to know him, of how humbling it is to know that he's included us in his future. To worship God is to declare his worth, to express our love and appreciation for who he is. And when we understand his truth, it should direct us to worship him. It only makes sense that we should be worshipping God each day as we wait for Jesus' return, since we'll be worshipping him forever. And practice, of course, makes perfect. But Haddon Robinson points out, that one old recipe uh, for rabbit stew started out with this injunction. First, catch the rabbit, says Robinson. The writer knew how to put things first. That's what we do when we establish priorities. We put things that should be in first place in their proper order. And worshipping God needs to be at the top of our priorities. And the important thing we need to remember is a basic thing. It's who we worship. I wonder if one of the things that we we need to remind ourselves is that it's not about who we are so much as whose we are. You see, if we find our identity in him, then our focus will be on him and worshipping him and nothing else. If not, it's really easy to get distracted. It's easy, at at least to some extent, to end up worshipping other things. We might end up worshipping money or possessions or sometimes even other people. But when we refuse to put what other people think ahead of what God tells us through the Bible, through prayer, through the way he speaks to us in our circumstances, then our focus will always be on him. We read in verse 9, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me, but he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of the scroll. Worship God. I am a fellow servant. Don't worship me, worship God. How easy is it to worship people instead of God without even thinking? How easy is it to lose our focus? But worshipping God should be our focus. And verse 10 in the message version says this. It says, The angel continued, 
Don't steal the words of the prophecy of this book. Don't put it away on the shelf. Time is just about up. Don't put it away on the shelf. Take seriously the prophecy that Jesus will return and that he will return soon. Time is just about up. And that brings us to my next point. We need to be ready. I don't know about you, but I can't believe how quickly this year has gone and that we're already at the start of Advent, which means Christmas is coming. And it's hard to miss it these days. Wherever you look, we're reminded of Christmas. It's on the radio, it's on the TV, it's in the shops, it's everywhere. We have reminders wherever we look that Christmas is coming. And most of the things that we see about Christmas are there to remind us to be prepared. To remind us to not get caught out without the perfect gift for our loved ones. Without the right food, without the right decorations. And the thing I find fascinating about all of the hype we experience year after year about Christmas is the sharp contrast that it is to that first Christmas a little over 2,000 years ago. I don't think people were prepared that first Christmas for the arrival of Jesus. I doubt very much that anyone had any decorations up or lost sleep because of the excitement of it all. But that first Christmas wasn't without its signs and signals. The prophets had predicted a coming saviour, the Messiah, who would be born of a virgin from the ancestral line of David, born in Bethlehem. This was well known among the Jewish community. And yet for that first Christmas, life will have gone on as normal. People have been to work, had their tea, children will have played business as usual. Except perhaps for those people who had to yet fulfil Caesar's, um, comply with his orders for the census. Their minds will have been occupied with getting to their own hometown if they didn't still live it, live in it. And for one such purpose, a young couple arrived in Bethlehem and Jesus was born, placed in a manger, and who really knew? Apparently not many people. An angel woke up some shepherds to tell them the news. Some wise men followed a star because they were intrigued by it. But apart from these unlikely guests at the manger, no one else seemed to notice Christmas number one. Jesus came, and although people had been waiting for it, Not many people noticed his arrival. That first Christmas might have been easy to miss, but subsequent ones in our lifetimes are difficult to overlook. And Jesus said he's coming again, and he said it's soon. Revelation 22, verse 7 and 12 says, Behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20 says, Yes, I am coming soon. So I wonder, have we done more to celebrate a past event, to get ready to celebrate a past event, then we have to prepare for Jesus' coming again. Do our Christmas preparations outdo our efforts to be ready for him to return? I'm sure you don't need me to tell you which event is most important. And I suppose it's easier to prepare for Christmas. It's pretty basic stuff and it is just stuff after all. But more important than being ready for that, we need to be ready for Jesus to return. Matthew 24, 42 says... Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Christmas is the same time every year, easy to keep track of. What day will Jesus return? We don't know. The key is to be watchful and alert at all times. Constant attention needs to be given to the time, given all the time rather, because it could be at any moment. 
After all, Jesus said it will be soon, and it will be soon, ready or not. So what do we do when we're waiting? How do we get ready? Well, we're told to continue in holiness. Verse 11 says, Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue in holy, continue to be holy. Despite what others do, we are called to be holy. The Apostle Peter said exactly that in 2 Peter 3, 11 to 12. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. We ought to live holy and godly lives. Don't get too attached to the world. It's not home. We're just passing through as they say. Peter refers to us all as aliens and strangers here. People whose citizenship is in heaven. That means if there's things we're doing or stuff we wouldn't do, if we thought today was a day of judgment, then we need to change it. How would you want Jesus to find you on the day he returns? Whatever your answer to that question is, start living that way now. Make preparations. We don't know the day, but he's coming soon. And we're urged to maintain a straight course too. Or in other words, persevere. In 1 Timothy 6, uh, 12, Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And goes on to say, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Persevere. Don't give up. We'll be tempted to think it's not worth it. We'll be tempted to think Jesus isn't coming back. We'll be tempted to turn away. We'll be tempted to take our eyes off Jesus while we wait. Or we might be tempted to compromise things here. Because it's been a long time since Jesus said he was coming back soon and he's still not returned. But instead of giving in to those temptations, we need to persevere. We need to remind ourselves that he is coming soon. And what's the final thing we need to do while we're waiting? Well, we need to tell other people. We're told not to seal up the truths. And seal up meant to close it with a wax seal so that the only person who could open it was the one who sealed it. And God tells us not to do that. Instead, we need to share that message because the time is near. Each day brings us closer to the day that he will return. The world will then be at the mercy of the Antichrist who will cause evil in the world and try and convince people to follow him instead of Jesus. The time is near. There'll be no warning. And in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, we will all be changed. People need to hear the word of God. And why? It's the only way they'll change. Verse 11 that I mentioned earlier is a little bit puzzling. It seems to imply that God doesn't want people to change, but that doesn't really make sense. I'll read it again. It says, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. But I wonder if what John is being told here is to share the truths about the future because people need to repent because the time is near. Some people won't change, they'll reject God like they already have. Others will accept him and do what is right and follow in holiness and continue to be holy. And to do that, we need to encourage one another. The Bible is full of verses telling us to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17-18 says, After that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. 
Therefore, encourage each other. Hebrews 10.25 says, But let us encourage one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's remind each other that Jesus is coming. Let's keep on going. Let's tell others about Jesus and the future they can find in him. Keep up the good work because he is coming soon. So what are you going to do whilst you wait? Worship God and God alone. Be ready by continuing in holiness. And tell other people which includes encouraging one another. It's never too early to start getting ready. Because even if we're not prepared, Jesus is still coming. If he said it was soon 2,000 and odd years ago, then it must be really soon now.